This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness. Was the 1980s the best decade for horror movies? Don't fall asleep before you find out. Once again, it's time for the idiots. An objective defense of the 80s. From a couple of idiots. Welcome back to another episode of The Idiots, an objective defense of 1980s pop culture from a couple of idiots. My name is Will, and joining me, as always, is my friend and co-host, Ray. How's your day going today? It's great. You know, I was I was just realizing that uh, when I listened to the show back, I realized I'm just kind of running through the intro now, like, done it so many times, so like, I don't... Like you actually have it memorized now. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. You huh. remind me how I used to struggle with that. But also, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying it as if they're actual words with meaning. So today I tried to do that. Oh. You know? So today we're going to be talking about horror movies of the 1980s. Yep. And a little bit later, we'll be speaking with parapsychologist Brandon Masulo about the science of ghosts and the science in our favorite films. Yes. But before that, let's get caught up on 80s news. So we got so much to talk about today that we're just, we decided that we're just going to give you one news update and you'll know why in a moment because it has to do with 1980s horror. So just earlier this month at New York Comic Con, Sam Raimi, you know who that is, right? If they don't, then they need to get out of here. That's right. We'll give you a point. See, we're getting hostile again. No, welcome. We want that. <laughs> you came to the right place. Yes. All right, fine. Welcome. You can learn about Sam Raimi while you're here. You probably, if you don't know who he is, maybe you know him from having directed the first three Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire. Or you might know him from directing and, you know, the greatest horror movie of all time. Right. Evil Dead 2. What about Evil Dead 1? Part 2 is better, though. Oh, okay. Because that's the movie they wanted to make when they made 1. Uh, oh, okay. You know what? Wow. That's a whole episode in itself. Because when you said Evil Dead 2, then, are you talking about when he redid the film he did straight out of college? Yes. Evil Dead 2 is actually a remake of Evil Dead. Right. But they called it 2. Right. But if you watch it, it's the same story, same characters. Yes, but they had more money and right. got Bigger to budget. do what they wanted. Yes, right. So yes, Sam Raimi, and actually the, the news we have is related to Evil Dead, because at New York Comic Con, uh, Sam Raimi made this comment during a, a panel, there's more Evil Dead coming. So we know in 2013 we had a reboot of, of Evil Dead, so it's not clear if more Evil Dead coming means it's a continuation of the Evil Deads he made, or a continuation of Ash versus the Evil Dead, or a continuation of the Evil Dead that was the reboot in 2013, uh, directed by Fede Alvarez. We talked about that yep. uh, a few episodes ago. But what is known is, and this is the only thing we do know, is that Bruce Campbell, who was the star of the of the Evil Dead, the originals, and Ash vs. Evil Dead, is going to be as a going to be on this movie as a producer. So far, that's what we know. Well, yes, but you know, you might remember after Ash vs. Evil Dead was. I guess it was canceled. I think it was canceled. Yeah, after. they canceled it, but they at least got to finish the storyline. Right. So. so after, just a few months after that, uh, fans, well, as soon as it was canceled, fans were rallying and they were petitioning Netflix to pick it up. And, you know, recently fans have had some success with saving shows. Like Brooklyn Nine-Nine was right. on Fox, got saved by NBC. Um, but uh, during this effort to try to save the show, Bruce, Bruce Campbell came out and made an announcement and said, hey guys, honestly, uh, it's, it's been enough. I've played Ash long enough. It's time for me to move on. And he's retired from playing the role. And what do I always say when someone doesn't want to play a character? You oh, yeah. slide the pile <laughs> of cash at him. So I expect Bruce to be back for this one. That would be awesome. And we're living in that era, yeah, of going back to the basics, the originals, you right. know, and having some kind of connection between the old and the new. And you need that. Yeah. Okay. And so that was 80s news. Dun, 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 dun. Ack. Right? Yep. <laughs> I guess. Hey, so, you know, and we kept it short today because we got a whole lot of horror movies we want to talk about. You know, so before we get to the, the, our, our, and we're going to talk about our top, well, I guess our top 10 movies from the 80s, because we're going to pick our favorite horror movie from each decade. Ray has his well, choices and I have mine. They're not, I wouldn't say this is my top 10 favorite. Okay. Because there were some difficult choices in some of these years. To Very pick good. So we'll the be, best one. So we'll be forced to pick one. But we'll talk about how maybe sometimes it's tricky. So horror movies, I know we've just talking generally about horror movies first. Uh, I know you were exposed to them early in yes. your childhood. I was exposed semi-early, not like you, you know, where in the womb I think they were playing uh, Frankenstein <laughs> Psycho to you. Frankenstein and Frankenstein. Um, so, but did you like them early on when you first saw oh, them? Yeah, I love them. 
I always loved them. I just like the the gore and the storytelling. I think it's it's awesome. And I remember last time you told us you even had Frankenstein uh, played at your birthday party one year. Yep, my first grade birthday party. So were those the earliest uh, horror movies that you had seen? No, the first would be The Hills Have Eyes. Ooh, I yep. saw that at the drive-in as a kid. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, then you get into the big-time monster movies, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Dracula, Mummy, yep. all, the, all the classics first. Yeah, that's... It, you know, since we are, it's going to be our contention, of course, that the 1980s was the best decade for horror movies, but the 1930s was a good decade too, because that's when all those you know classic Universal monster movies came out, I believe. Yeah, it's mostly 30s. There's a couple trinkled uh, trickled in there, like the the creature. I think is from the 60s, but oh, true, true, right, right, right. So I was terrified. Of course, we talked about this before of horror movies. My first exposure was my parents were like, "Hey, you can come in here. You want to come in here? Come on in into the family room. <laughs> you can watch this movie with us." You know, I turn and see uh, some person turns out to be a zombie but it looks like one human devouring the intestines of another zombie <laughs> it was uh dawn of the dead ah, that's you know, a good one somebody in the mall yeah it turns out it's, it's, a, it's a really good movie but um at the time i was terrified and actually because i was scared and i didn't like being scared of things and these things really scared me i then spent my time going to the library and looking up magazines like you know fangoria and oh, um, yeah. these different horror movie, uh, movie magazines that also talked about how they made the special effects you know so oh that yeah that's a good part of the 80s too right yeah. there is the special effects because they're all practical right so i learned very quickly like you know how they could make fake blood and out of corn syrup and you know caro syrup and how they faked you know bullet shots to the head all the things things i needed to know so that it would seem, make it le- seem less scary of course you go to the movie still you know if it's convincing you, any amount of knowing doesn't necessarily make you less scared right but it well that's a little. It's the suspension of disbelief yes yeah with the music and everything you get caught up yep but I went from being scared to, in my teenage years, trying to see as many horror movies as possible, whether on VHS or seeing them when they came out in the theaters, you know, because at that point, I wasn't scared anymore. And that was a story about me growing up. <laughs> I liked it. It was fun. <laughs> the end. <laughs> so let's get to these movies. All right. So easiest thing to do is talk about 1980, right? The That's, first year yep. of the horror movies. Yes. So I got Friday the 13th for 1980. That's your, that's your top pick? That's top pick. Okay, so th- there were some other choices, I thought, including... Well, there are. The Shining, yeah. Fog, Motel Hell, or the three that I struggled with. But for me, Friday the 13th created an entire genre of horror movies, which is the slasher flick. So I got to go... I got to pick that one. Right. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it was tough, too. It was either going to be Friday the 13th or The Shining for me. Ultimately, I went with The Shining only because I think I saw The Shining first... Mm-hmm. And I, I told this story on the show before that I was terrified even from the trailers of The Shining with all the blood pouring out of the elevators. Yeah. That scared me already. So by the time I saw The Shining, I was already, you know, on edge. Um, but I agree with you of the importance of the Friday 13th. Certainly can't be not denied that sort of faceless, you know, monster that doesn't stop. Yeah. Yep, that you don't hunting, know who it is. Yeah, just yep. hunting you down. Mm-hmm. Wow, so 80, not too bad. That's a pretty easy year to figure out then. You know, yeah. you get your two big choices. Yeah, and, that was pretty simple that year. You know, we'll, we'll post, some, I think the ones where, we, where you and I don't uh, come to the same conclusion for a year, we'll put that on Facebook and we'll ask folks to vote what they think they're... they're oh, yeah. Do they still have the poll option on there? You know, it's, it's there sometimes and sometimes <laughs> it's not. I don't know why, huh. but we could just, we'll say, what do yeah. you think? And let people type in there. Yeah, true. People still type, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so 1981. So for 1981, and this is for me a first of, uh, I think, a couple of different things. I have to ask you whether or not we can, uh, you know, have a variation, like, you know, an asterisk maybe to the, hmm. the call. And that's because, um, so you've got some choices like Howling, uh, My Bloody Valentine, Scanners, Wolfen were uh, movies that came out. Of course, The Evil Dead came out, uh, although, you know, for reasons I think we talked about uh, when we're talking about Sam, Sam Raimi and the new Evil Dead movie. Mm-hmm. Evil Dead 2 is, you know, I think we really regard that as Evil Dead, right? Or no? Um, they're both Evil Dead, but one's part two. That's just how they're referred to. But they're the same movie, this one's called yeah. part two. So. And, th- and part two's better. Uh, yeah. So for me, I wanted to ask you if I could actually use a TV movie. Are you looking at Salem's Lot? No. Ooh. Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Do you remember this one? I don't remember this. I wish I could remember the actor's name. Uh, ultimately, he was a guy who was, I think he was on L.A. Law, some show like that in the 80s. Mm. Long story short, he plays a mentally challenged... What is the correct... Look, you know me. I like to be sensitive to these things. I don't even know where we're at these days. I would say mentally challenged. Oh, okay, mentally challenged... Uh, would be fine. ...person in the 1980s. He's one of the main characters. He befriends a young girl. She's hurt by a dog, and the people in the town who don't like this guy anyway and don't trust him... 
uh, blame him, and they uh, murder him. Hmm. Uh, Scarecrow it's like, mysteriously... It's like Pumpkinhead, kind of. Sort of, except instead of, I guess, being conjured, because right in Pumpkinhead, he, the father like conjures, conjures pump, Pumpkinhead. Yeah. Um, this one, a scarecrow just starts appearing and, you know, murdering these, these people. Mm, that's and, a good choice then. Killer scarecrows but are But that cool. scared the crap out of me as a child. Um, and again, it was one of those early sort of horror movies. So I think I saw yeah. that before I saw any of these others. So yeah, my runner up was American Werewolf in London. That was 81? Yeah. Why don't I have that on here? But I went with Friday the 13th part two as it's the first appearance of Jason. I don't so. know why I don't have American Werewolf in London on here. I thought I did. Hmm. Well, yeah, and, and most people don't know, and I guess we could talk about when we talk about part three. Yeah. But it takes a little while to get to seeing what we understand as the classic uh, Jason. Mm-hmm. All right, so y- you got Friday the 13th. Part, part two, two, I've got uh, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Um, so 1982? 1982. Uh, this is going to be a very unpopular choice, but hmm. I'm going with Friday the 13th, part three. Okay. Because well, it's the first appearance of the hockey mask. Yeah. Which there, I don't think there's a person alive that doesn't associate Jason at this point with his hockey mask. Yeah, it's true. You know, you, you seem to be leaning more towards picking movies that are important and maybe ones that didn't scare you. But maybe it's because most of them didn't scare you. <laughs> yeah, that could be. <laughs> and I'm going with the ones I remember that scared me. <laughs> yeah. Plus 82, I don't really think there's other movies that were... I don't know. There's a few for nah, me. Well, well, let's hear what they are. So, yeah. So, you also had Creepshow that year. Um, mm-hmm. Basket Case, which I know you just yeah, watched. Yeah, I just watched that. Um, but but for me, the two that also um, made it hard for me were Poltergeist yeah. and The Thing. Yeah, those are both excellent movies. And for me, I ultimately went with The Thing. Uh, and because not only did it scare me as a kid, Poltergeist did too. I don't want a clown in anywhere near <laughs> me. Storms frightened me after that. I was always looking under the bed. Um, but the, I went with The Thing because of the practical special effects in it. They yeah. still hold up today. It's yes. still terrifying today. Yes, those are terrifying special yeah. effects. When the dog splits yeah. and the spider head. Oh, my gosh. Those are both actually pretty pretty frightening. Uh, when that head is, you know, <laughs> starting to go off the table and it's still yeah. moving and the guy is still, <laughs> yep. mouth and eyes, are, oh, my goodness, terrifying. But the, the most scariest part for me is when he's doing the uh, reviving him, yeah. you know, clear. <laughs> yeah, and boom. finally, chest opens up yeah. and bites his hands up. Nice. I'm getting, I'm feeling uncomfortable right now. <laughs> you can see that. All right. So 1980, all right. So, so all right. So, so 80, yeah, 82, we're split on that one, but yep. only because of the hockey mask is the only reason I yep. give it to that one. Well, you know, it's like, otherwise, yeah, the thing or poltergeist is easily just as good. So, yeah. So 1983, um, this, I don't know. I'm sure you'll have a standout for you. For me, these were all kind of eh, fine movies. One, yeah. Once again, this was an easy one for me because this is sleepaway camp. Oh, okay. I was wondering what you'd go with. I was thinking it was either going to be that or maybe the dead zone. But they're both good, but I like Sleepaway Camp okay. just because of the twist. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the twist of Sleep, Sleepaway Camp, I don't think it would fly today um, because, you know, so that... <laughs> don't roll your eyes at me. <laughs> no, so Sleepaway Camp, for those folks that know, and like Ray usually says, hey, you had time to watch it, right? I mean, it's 38 years yeah. old or 37 years old. At the end, it turns out that the killer, uh, who we've believed was a... Uh, who, who appears to be a female character the whole mm-hmm. time, was born a boy... Yep. But raised as a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember. It's because they wanted a girl and she died. And so her brother was like avenging her. But I, I don't remember why that's important or not. Except <laughs> it, I think I guess they did it to just do the twist. So you didn't know. Yeah, who. I think that was the cool twist. For me, so, so there was other films that came out that year. Like I mentioned, Dead Zone. But you also had Cujo, Jaws 3D. Are we considering Jaws movies as horror movies? I, I'll put the first one as a horror movie. Okay. I'll put the other ones as fun to watch, Yeah, but not really horror movies at that point. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. They're all terrible movies after that. Um, but for me, I picked a movie that we talked about um, earlier, Something Wicked This Way Comes. Anyway, that was, again, like I'm, I'm going with the ones that I still resonate with me today, that mm-hmm. still creeped me out, the story of this carnival that comes to this sleepy town, and it's, you know... Yeah, I'm a big fan of the carnivals, so... Yeah. The, the scary movie carnivals. Oh, okay. I like those. Yeah. Um, and I think we may, we have at least one in our list, I think, coming up some year, if we didn't pass it yet. Okay, so 1984. So uh, so, we're, so there we're split again. Sleepaway Camp and Something mm-hmm. Wicked This Way Comes. Yep. We're going to have to seek a lot of, uh, you know, input. Outside advice. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's cool. So 84. What do you got on 84? This oh, one should be simple. Oh, uh, for me, I picked... Uh, see, that wasn't simple for me. <laughs> Two movies that I love. 
Gremlins. Now, this is one of those ones. Are you going to let me get away with this as a horror movie? It's funny, certainly. Yeah, horror it's, comedy. Okay, so it's so it's in the genre. Gremlins, I love. I love that it's set at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Um, but another movie came out that year that started my love of a particular genre or a particular franchise, which was Nightmare on Elm Street. So I'm going with Nightmare on Elm Street. Yep, Nightmare on Elm Street wins that year, hands down. Whoa, we agree. Yep. And I know you love Gremlins. I do love Gremlins, but once again, Elm Street started a franchise. Yep. And it was a really good story that we hadn't seen before. Yes, yes. So that was cool. Yes. And, and you know, uh, I guess something that we could note is, again, I don't know that we have to, I don't think anyone's going to argue with us. 80s was the best decade for horror movies for lots of reasons. Yeah. But in, in, among these movies and these lists throughout the decades, were some many of them were directed by the same director. You know, these careers were born from these movies. Oh, yeah. You know, so John Carpenter, Wes Craven, um, and others, yeah, Stephen King, everybody like that. Other, yeah, Stephen King, uh, you know, his stories being uh, made into films was huge in the eighties. Um, so anyway, so that was easy. But also coming out in eighty four, I guess these didn't make it harder. But you know, some some classics like uh, Children of the Corn, Firestarter. I thought it was funny that uh, Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter came out because <laughs> we know we we know now we know what happens. I think we have. Let's see. Four more Friday the 13th come out in the 1980s after that one. Yeah. <laughs> Almost one every year. But also also in 84, you get, and I want to know if you think this is a, a horror movie, The Terminator comes out. No, that's a science fiction action movie. Now, so you got to, though, this is where it gets a little fuzzy for me, because put a hockey mask on that guy, is it really that different? Uh, he needs a better kill. He needs a machete. He needs knife fingers. So... For a horror movie, it has to do with the violence or the gore, too, you think? Yeah, he needs to be an undead robot of some sort. <laughs> You're writing a whole new movie here. <laughs> if this next Terminator that's coming out is a success, <laughs> Zombie <laughs> zombie Terminator has got to be the next installment. Yeah, that would be amazing. There's some other movies on here that... <laughs> um, okay, so... I see what you're saying. So we're talking about the gore factor again, I guess, because like the thing kind of leans on science fiction, but it's definitely gory. But it definitely has the horror gore in it. Hmm. So huh. Now I'm understanding because as I, I struggled a little bit with these to figure, to, to see what I could include as horror or not in my consideration. Mm-hmm. Also, you had Chud in 84. I love Chud. That's yeah. a great movie. But like I said, nobody's taking Elm Street down in 84. Yep. Okay. In 84. So yeah. 1985 then. What do you got? I am going with Return of the Living oh, Dead. Oh, yeah. That's one of my all-time favorites. This was actually a tough year because House came out, Reanimator came out, um, and those are both really good also. But Return of the Living Dead is a classic at my house. We watch it a lot. Yep. I, actually, I just watched it last night. You did? It doesn't even count for my 13 of Halloween <laughs> because I've seen it so many times, but I watched it again last night. Yeah, yeah, that is a good one. And it's good because, uh, you know, not only is it scary, but it's also funny. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. ridiculous what happens. And it was a movie that, I don't remember the guy's name, but it was uh, George Romero's partner. They had worked on Night of the Living Dead uh, together. Tom Savini. Was it Tom Savini? I think he does special effects for everything yes, in the 80s. Yes, that's true. But, but, the, but the writer of Return of the Living Dead, he was, I guess he co-wrote or co-created uh, Night of the Living Dead, and then they had a split, and he won, or they agreed, or either through some sort of dispute, or they agreed, he could go on and make movies that included Living Dead in the title. George Romero can go out and make these zombie movies, but they couldn't be called Living Dead, which is why then we had ah. Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, etc. Um, and then we nice. had these. Um, for me, I went with Fright Night. That is also an excellent movie. Again, it's a little bit different, you know, yeah. than your straight up uh, slasher. But but that's a really cool movie. I think I watched that two weeks ago. Also didn't count for my thing. <laughs> you just love horror <laughs> movies. Of course, in 85, we also had Cat's Eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, Day of the Dead and, and Ghoulies were among the some yeah. other horror movies that uh, I remember watching as a kid. 1986 was easy, easy for me, except maybe it was this asterisk again. I chose Aliens. Mm. For me, that's a science fiction Okay, movie. see, this is what I'm learning here. But for a lot of people, that's a horror movie. Would you so? consider the first movie a horror movie? Not really. S- I, for I, the same reason? Yeah, I think they're science fiction stories. Because hmm. okay. you're on spaceships and you don't have an undead monster. Yeah. He doesn't have a machete. If the alien had a machete, I think I'd feel different about it. Hmm. So I went with one of my all-time... This is probably in my top five all-time. Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. Really? One of my favorite movies. Okay. It was tough because uh, 
there's a movie called Trick or Treat. I was going to ask you about that. I love that movie. And notable because of the two stars of the movie, or, or, or among well, the stars. Sk- I think Skippy's in that, from yeah. uh, whatever that show is. And then you got Ozzy and Gene. Yeah, so Ozzy Osbourne and Gene uh, Simmons mm-hmm. uh, of rock and roll uh, fame. Were in that. That's pretty cool. Um, if, all right, so if I don't pick Aliens, look, there's plenty of other choices. Uh, yeah. Would you consider The Hitcher a horror movie? I know it was... Yeah, I'll put that in The Hitcher category. Uh, Hitcher goes into the horror category. You got, because he's you not faceless, a, but he's guy won't he, stop. He's coming. Yeah. So that's a scary kind of... Unstoppable. We don't really know much about him. Right. Uh, I think I would probably, though, if I if forced to choose right now... Uh, well, again, you know what? I, you, you wouldn't consider the Flyer horror movie, probably. The Fly? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would, I, I'll throw that in the horror, because there's some cool special effects in that. All right, I'm going with the Fly, then. That's, that's a good choice. I mean, David Cronenberg, it's a crazy mm-hmm. movie. Start to finish, it's yeah, good. That's a good one. All right, so, also Troll came out that year, which yes. was fun, and uh, Maximum Overdrive, I which... I love uh, that, yeah, too. That was another... A lot of these movies... I didn't see them in the theater. I was too young at the time, but we would rent them in the summer, yeah, my buddies well, and I. Yeah, that was a big thing in the 80s was going to the VHS, you know, right. rental place and just digging through the horror movies. Like, stores had an entire section of yeah. nothing but horror movies. Yeah. So you could just basically find every teenager in a in the county yeah. in one aisle of the store yeah. going, have we seen this? Yes. <laughs> did we right. see, when did we watch this? Yeah, yeah. My buddies and I, we'd scrape together whatever it was, a dollar you needed yeah. or something, and someone had a card that would belong to the video store. And yep. um, I, I, the thing that uh, I remember as a young person, even as a teenager looking is, some of those covers were just scary enough, they were scary all on their own, just the images. Well, and that's how we picked movies. Yeah. You yep. picked it by the cover or the, or the company that made it, because mm-hmm. we got into trauma for a while. Right, okay. Because we saw uh, Toxic Avenger. Right. So then we rented everything that Trauma made. Didn't matter if we thought it looked like garbage, because <laughs> yeah. we knew we were going to have fun watching it. Hmm. So yeah, that's how you picked back then. I think if I saw the images from some of those movies now, they would probably disturb me. Still disturb me, because there was, there was plenty that disturbed me then <laughs> as a kid, and we would watch them, but um, yeah. it'd still make me feel uncomfortable. So what are we up to? 87. 1987. Okay. For me, I chose, and again, you let me, if you let me consider this a horror movie, <laughs> The Lost Boys. Yeah, we'll put that in the horror yes, category. Yes, okay. Now, I should say that, um, you know, we've had, in 87, we get another Nightmare on Elm Street 3, mm-hmm. Dream Warriors, which I loved. Yeah, great movie. I love the concept even of, you know, these guys, people preparing to do battle on Freddy's turf, you know? Right, and you have Doc um, and doing the song. So, great movie. So, that was a little tricky for me. Uh, of course, you've also got Evil Dead 2. Mm-hmm. Um, the Gate, you've yep. got Hellraiser, which I loved yep. Hellraiser when I was a kid, uh, and The Hidden, I love The Hidden, I don't know if you consider the horror movie, but, so what was your favorite in 87? This is the one or, I get the most pick? guff over, hmm. this is almost as bad as the punk okay, rock Okay, wait, episode. I think I can guess it now, well, maybe not, Bad Taste? Nope, I'm, hmm. I'm picking Evil Dead too. Okay, why would you get a problem over that? A lot of people think Hellraiser should take this year. I see. And I argue this all the time, because Evil Dead 2 is one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, hands down, Hellraiser's good. Yeah, but Evil Dead Two is great. Yeah, just like the Gate. I love the Gate, and I would have picked it over Hellraiser. And that's when people lose their minds. Yeah, I think I would pick Hellraiser there, but I, I'm with you with Evil Dead Two. I yeah, mean, so that's that's eighty seven. I don't think people are quoting Hellraiser. I mean, Evil Dead Two. There's just you know, some I don't know. Have, you, have, you, and have you talked to Otis lately? <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. Oh god, he's the first one who's going to be up my butt for saying that, <laughs> that was better. Oh, I'm curious. I did notice in eighty seven we had at least nine movies that came out with the word blood in the title. Yeah, it starts to become the the, the horror factory of movies in eighty seven. Yes. Where you start getting so many good ones. There's a ton of movies. In fact, I also, you know, also I liked uh, Creepshow 2, which is the superior of the creep shows. So that was a little tricky for me. Also, again, is this a horror movie or horror movie tangent? Monster Squad came out in 87, which was, you know. That's a tough one because I love that movie, but I don't know if it's a true horror yeah, movie. Yeah, it's too much. But you know, it has, it has your a, classic monsters that you love it in does, it. It does, but it's more of a kid's movie. Yeah, it's, yeah. For the 80s, it's a kid's movie. Yes, right. It, well, it wouldn't fly today. It'd be rated R today. Yeah, today it would be rated R. But back then, that was a PG or G movie when it came yep. out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it was G, but yes. It was, it was definitely different. It definitely seemed different then. <laughs> yeah. and, and was actually different then. Yep. So what do you got for uh, 88? This one, I actually wrote down Child's Play. Okay. 
But I think I'm going to change my mind. Oh. I think mm. I'm going to go with Killer Clowns I, from Outer Space. I knew it. Sorry if I stepped on that. <laughs> uh, I knew it was going to be tough for you, but um, yeah, I could see that. Now, uh, for me, I went with The Blob. Yeah, I just watched that. Still yeah. stands up. The special effects are amazing in that yeah, movie. That one's, you know, and again, it had to be all practical at the time, and we had some very beginnings of computer-generated effects mm-hmm. in the 80s, but so terrifying and scary that the effects are creepy. You know, I wouldn't say it's up there with the thing, but it's that kind of uh, shock factor, some of those, some of the gore in that. Yeah, it. Uh, I'd forgotten how good it was. Yeah. I mean, it stands the test of time. It's a really good remake, so... I like that one a lot. Yeah. I, I loved Child's Play. I love uh, Killer Clowns. Um, of course, you've got a number of sequels that came out that year as well, including a Phantasm 2, which I liked. Um, you had another Poltergeist. You had Return of the Living Dead Part 2, which, mm-hmm. you know, I remember seeing and thinking, I'm sure you're going to remember this. Wait a second. Weren't these two guys in the first movie? <laughs> and this, I think they remark, like, isn't this, didn't this happen to us before? <laughs> yeah. You got the same two actors playing different parts, but they they both turn into zombies. I think uh, you know in some ridiculous way, <laughs> which is what happens in the first movie. Yeah, they're sort of the comic relief of the film. Mm-hmm. And, and you also had uh, anyway another Nightmare on Elm Street. You had another Halloween. You had another Friday the Thirteenth. Um, so uh, tons of sequel. Eighty eight might have had the most sequels in it. But well, yeah. like I said, we're into the part of the eighties where it's a machine where they're just cranking these things out. Now you could watch a new one like every week the whole year. And we haven't even seen the last Friday the 13th yet of the decade, which brings us to 1989, where you do. You had another Friday the 13th, you had another Halloween, you had another Howling. Howling was up to five at this point. Yeah, I think 89 is a weak year for horror. Yeah, I agree. This was hard for me to pick. Um, some things, movies I remember seeing in the th- movie theater, because I was old enough to now go at this mm-hmm. point. 976 Evil, I remember, was... It was that's, a, that's a good one. Yeah, it's, I mean, it was funny because people won't understand it nowadays, but this idea that you had these phone numbers you could call <laughs> for money, you know, for yeah. different reasons, and that, that, was the, that was part of the premise. Um, for me, I wound up going with Pet Cemetery. That's what I went with. Like you said, the pickings were slim, but... The, yeah, the pickings were slim, and I gave this one the thumbs up because uh, Herman Munster's in it. Yeah. <laughs> and in the credits, they played the Ramones Pet Cemetery, oh, which is the reason that. I went to see it in the theater... Because mm-hmm. that song wasn't out yet, and I wanted to hear it. So I went to see the movie so I could hear the song. I had, I didn't remember that part. Yeah. So that's the only reason it wins 89. 89 is kind of a bummer year. Yeah. Again, among, in addition to all those uh, sequels I mentioned, which included a Chud sequel, by the way, right? Chud 2, Bud the Chud, which I do not oh, remember that movie at all. I thought that was Chud 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> that might have been better. <laughs> Although, you know, it seemed like we had, they had some fun with the titles because we had Chud 2, Bud the Chud that year. And also, the Friday the 13th movie subtitle was Jason Takes Manhattan, where, you know, just a few years earlier, the Muppets took Manhattan. So mm-hmm. um, they're having a little more fun. And actually, that movie also... And some of these others, too, started playing more with comedy yeah, in, in Jason, addition to horror. Jason Takes Manhattan is actually a pretty good one for the franchise, in my opinion, because it does you know, add a little flavor to the franchise yeah. other than just a camp. I wasn't sure if instead of Pet Cemetery, you might have chosen Warlock. That one's good, but like I said, no Herman Monster. Yeah, and that one doesn't really stand out for me either. Mm-mm. So that's, that's the entire decade there. So we did it. Yay! And we did a pretty good comparison there. So, And I wonder how controversial this will be. Probably not as controversial as your punk rock opinions, but... Well, keep in mind, opinions are like... So, now I'm going to watch Ray struggle to come up with an analogy that doesn't include a bad word. Buttholes. <laughs> That was the best you could yeah. get. Everybody's got one, oh. and everybody thinks that everybody else's stinks. Oh, there we go. Hmm. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> so a number of the horror movies we talked about today have some sort of paranormal aspect to them, you know, whether it's uh, telekinesis or hauntings. Uh, yes. You know, a number of different things. Um, so it's perfect that we speak with our guest today. So in a moment, we'll be right back with our conversation with parapsychologist Brandon Masulo.
Our guest today is a clinical therapist and parapsychologist with graduate degrees from the University of Toledo and the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. His research has centered on the neurobiological phenomenon of ghostly encounters. In fact, his book, The Ghost Studies, New Perspectives on the Origins of Paranormal Experiences, advances his scientifically grounded theory of ghostly experiences. A frequent speaker at numerous paranormal forums and events, you can learn more about him at hauntedtheories.com. Please welcome to the show, Brandon Masulo. Hey, Brandon, how you doing? Great, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, we appreciate your time. So earlier, Ray and I were talking about our favorite horror movies from the 1980s, and a number of them include uh, some sort of you know paranormal uh, aspect to them. So we thought it would be perfect to speak with you about you know your theories, your your, your theory, your scientifically based theory about ghosts in our real world, but also about the science uh, in our favorite uh, pop culture from the 1980s. For folks who haven't read your book, and your book again is called "The Ghost Studies: New Perspectives on the Origins of Paranormal Experiences." How did you get interested first in paranormal? Uh, well, it started when I was probably a teenager. Uh, well, actually, the Ghostbusters was probably the, one of the main reasons I got into the paranormal. I remember sitting in the movie theaters watching um, Dr. Vankman, um, Dr. Spangler, and Dr. Stance, who were uh, uh, parapsychologists. So they studied right. parapsychology. First scene of the movie is actually when they are in their... Um, doing uh, what's called Zener cards, which is when he puts the wavy lines in front <laughs> yes. of him. Yeah. You can keep the five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, that's kind of based a little bit in parapsychology. It's this idea of uh, he was studying the negative effects on, uh, I think it was psychic abilities. So he was seeing if, if you shock somebody, will their psychic abilities mm. improve? And it actually right. was working, even though right. he <laughs> told the guy it wasn't working. But uh, that's really where it started, and then the, the cartoons were really big for me, and then I started reading books when I was uh, a teenager in high school. I picked up a lot of books on parapsychology, uh, and then I read pretty much every book in the library on parapsychology, um, and then I ended up uh, getting a degree in psychology, and then I went overseas to Scotland and studied parapsychology, which parapsychology, for those you don't know, is basically the study of paranormal phenomenon right. uh, that has to do with um, uh, tele- uh, telepathy... Uh, psychokinesis, uh, remote viewing, precognition, seeing into the future, uh, survival hypothesis, which is this idea that we live, um, some part of us moves on after we die. Uh, and it goes through the spectrum of reincarnation, consciousness. So parapsychology studies this paranormal phenomenon. Uh, and there's some pretty legit universities like the University of Edinburgh, which is top, top 25 in the world that have a whole department just devoted to parapsychology or paranormal. You know, and I think, and you pointed out in this book, and when we spoke with our guest Greg Fakedic some time ago, uh, I think a, an interesting clarification was needed, and maybe a helpful one for folks is that when we're talking about paranormal, we autom- we tend to think because of pop culture, it's something science fiction. Mm-hmm. And what your book does is is ground it in science, yeah. um, and and also the other thing, uh, and we could talk a little bit more about some of the phrase, phrases that you used to, um, but but the, the fact that something is um, paranormal may just be simply that it's not known to us under our quote normal. Uh, you know, scientific measurements, calculations, yeah. observations, etc. Mm-hmm. A side tangent now, you just mentioned the Ghostbusters cartoons. Are we talking the real Ghostbusters? Or are we talking the Ghostbusters? The real Ghostbusters, okay, so, yeah. not the Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad cartoon. Yes. It's an interesting story about how we had both of them, but we don't have to go into that right now. <laughs> yeah. um, in any case, and I know, and I, you know, one of the things I appreciate, appreciated about your book, too, is I know what you, you know, you tell the story at the beginning that one of the things that kicked off your interest in just sort of more generally was the story you tell about uh, your friend who had a ghost experience oh, yeah. and says to you, you know, do you know, or, or are there ghosts? And you said, I don't know. And I think that's something that's, you know, to be appreciated about, about folks in your field, uh, you know, the most, because uh, again, oftentimes because of pop culture and uh, other phenomena, it's easy to say, what was my point? Sometimes I start a point and I don't remember where I'm <coughs> going. All right, let me see if I can oh, figure oh, this oh. out. So I think what you're going for is, is do people often just ignore what you're doing because of the movies? Is that what you're after? <laughs> well... No. <laughs> I think a lot of time it depends on which kind of way you go towards it. There's a lot of people who, as soon as you say ghost, their brain all, oh, goes to, this person's crazy. There's no way a ghost exists. Uh, and then there's other people out there that go automatically to, oh, yes, this is, a, this is amazing. This is what it is. Uh, and the, really the middle, you want to really be in the middle ground on that. You want to have this sort of idea, well, hey, maybe it can exist. But you don't want to, everything that comes towards you go, oh, it's a ghost. It's paranormal. It's, it's this, it's that. So we kind of go back and forth. And it depends on who you talk to. 
some people get really angry and passionate about this topic of ghosts mm-hmm. and paranormal and uh, psychic abilities. And, um, you know, some people, you know, they'll, they'll really yell at you if they don't believe what you think. But I think w- when you're talking about science, taking a look at things, I think it's how do you study something that you can't really tangibly touch? Right. And that's the ultimate question when it comes to paranormal phenomenon. How do you do something like that? And the answer is you have to be creative. You really do. You know, if I wanted to study this table, I could break it down, chop it in half, put it under a microscope, analyze the composition of the wood. I could touch it, feel it, look at it. With ghosts, you can't do that. I mean, it's un- paranormal phenomenon are unpredictable. They're erratic. They're episodic. They're poorly documented. Um, this is everything the scientific method hates. So you have to get a little bit more creative with your experiments or researches. And that's the hard part of parapsychology and and studying consciousness and all this other stuff. And I remember my point now, based on what you said, not what Ray said, that took me off to a tangent, was skepticism, that, you, you know, you, you come at it with a hearty dose of skepticism that any scientist would, mm-hmm. um, where, uh, you know, again, maybe it's just my pop culture, the pop culture I've taken in, that it's easy to think that so when folks investigating these things can't understand something, they just say, that's a ghost. And that's it. What that means is, I don't know what it is, but it's definitely, you know, or, or in some, taken to its extreme, it's, you know, someone speaking from beyond the grave yeah. for some reason or not. So it's yep. like um, if gravity worked different all the time, trying to prove how gravity worked. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of what you're saying. Yeah. There, there's no consistency to it. You know, it's, it's erratic. People have experiences sometimes when they least expect it, and they're not repeatable, too. People can't conjure up a ghost right here now. It's just, I mean, some people probably believe they can, but it's, it's hard to do that under scientific scrutiny. No, you, you said, you, you know, much of your love for paranormal or interest started with the Ghostbusters. Um, when you were still a teenager, you know, or a young person exploring and trying to understand and grapple with these notions, were there other uh, pop culture that, um, you know, uh, you connected with or, or that you maybe, you know, sunk yourself into pop culture as one of those resources for, you know, information or... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, all the way up, in, and I don't know if Flatliners was 80s or 90s. It was 90s. Was it 90s? Yeah. 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 It was close. It was close, though. Yeah. It was real close. Okay. So Flatliners was a big motivation for me because there was a lot of science behind that one. Um, and, and that motivated me a little bit towards looking at different ways to... I, did they remake that, too? I could have sworn. Th- yes. <clears throat> yeah. They remade that, and it was really bad. Was it? Okay. Because yeah. I didn't see the remake, but I yeah. do remember the original. And that kind of goes with like these near-death experiences and you know what happens to us after we die and... Uh, that was a huge motivator for me. That's, yeah, that's similar to the Dead Zone with Which uh, is Christopher Walken. That is an eighties movie. Oh, I don't think he's in a car crash, and that's what triggers his psychic ability to see the future when he touches people. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Wow. And they take a little bit, and even the Ghostbusters takes a little bit of parapsychology and they move it into sort of pop culture. Sure, like Egon's PKE meter is a psychokinetic energy meter. Now, being an expert in the field, now that you watch these older movies. Mm-hmm. Do they do a good job with like um, explaining scientific things, or does it seem like hogwash now that you know more? Dan Acker did an amazing job, and he was semi. Uh, when I read interviews about Ghostbusters, I think he was really obsessive about paranormal phenomena, right? Even before the film, even before the yes. film, yeah. So he took a lot of the, the research from parapsychology and moved it in. The Sedgwick Hotel is where they bust Slimer. Eleanor Sedgwick was uh, a prominent investigator in the eighteen hundreds one of the oh. main people hmm. of the Society for Psychical Research. So we actually took her name, put it in the movie. Uh, PKE meter, psycho- psychokinetic energy meter, that has to do with uh, research on uh, psychokinesis or the ability to move things with our minds. Um, there's a lot of sort of uh, small things that you see in there, uh, ins and outs of he'll throw parapsychology terms in there every once in a while. He does a really good job. Um, uh, it kind of goes back and forth. Like when you get to the cartoon, then it turns into just fantasy. Yeah. It uh, just seems like there's a lot of people now who like to do the YouTube videos on, we talk to a police officer and here's what's wrong with, you know, bad boys or whatever. And they just <laughs> oh, tear it apart. Like that's not it's, how it's done. Oh, yeah. They have those react videos. Yeah. So they have like, uh, I watch one that's like, you know, stuntmen react to movie stunts. So yeah. we, maybe you can do a segment on YouTube where you watch movies and just trash their garbage science. He, he really could. Oh, yeah, you'd get millions of followers. But it's, it, honestly, that movie's not that bad with it. I mean, Ghostbusters, even Ghostbusters yep. 2 wasn't really that bad. I know that going into the 90s on that one. But, um, I mean, like with the opening scene, that's Zener cards. That's what people did, yeah. you know. And then you keep going and going and going. And, you know, overall, I don't, the Proton Pack's really not based in anything science-wise. But, <laughs> yeah, but they are super cool. But they are super cool, you know. 
Yeah, I think one of the, you know, and thinking about Dead Zone and Zener cards, and having read your book, um, again, the thing that, I'm a very skeptical person, so having mm-hmm. read your book, it, it jives with what my experience is, and, mm-hmm. and with other things, because, well, first of all, a lot of the, the, in folks who should read your book, there's no way we can do it justice here in our short time together, but a lot of it seems, you know, we're talking about science, but um, the philosophies and concepts in New, in new Age uh, you know, are, are covered by the science that you talk about. Some, reli- I mean, religions, um, the ideas behind religion. Our, you know, one of our favorite movies, I've got Empire Strikes Back. I know you're not a fan. I read that in the book. That was very disappointed <laughs> with that line. I highlighted that line. I even marked it off here. Not a Star Wars fan. But the force, you know, uh, in, in Star Wars. So a lot of the, the you know, concepts in, in our real life and in, in pop culture seem to all point to these notions that obviously there's something bigger than us. There's mm-hmm. something connecting us. And there's a way to tap into that. Yeah. And your book covers, you know, scientific theories that you've pulled together to explain how that might be so. Mm-hmm. Again, you should read the book to find out. When you talk about uh, the Zener cards, it makes me think about, you know, the work that you were talking about with the, uh, with the God helmet. There, it could go so many ways. I mean, yeah, there's, a, there's some research in there that I talk about what's called entanglement, which is sort of yes. non-locality or uh, resonating minds together. And there's some research that was done uh, by, you know, legitimate universities where they sort of messed with people's magnetic fields around their brains. Like one person, they put a certain complex rotating field, and then another person in another room, they put the same field across their brain. And somehow they were able to transport information. So information was passed from one person to another uh, under pretty scientific, rigorous protocols for this to happen. So there was no fraud or anything like that. But this is this idea that if we sort of messed with the magnetic fields around our brains and we do it uh, the same to two people in two different locations. I think one person was like 3,000 miles away. Information is sometimes passed somehow. Uh, and that's kind of bizarre. And you think about, eh, may, eh, if you're sticking, if you're shooting electromagnetic fields in people's heads and you're doing it that way, then it's not really real. But the idea could be that under certain, search, under certain circumstances, this could happen between two people. Um, in a in a sort of a, paran- a paranormal experience could happen, right? And, and you talk about quantum entanglement. Mm-hmm. I mean, before I even read your book, I was reading about how was it quarks that they have? Was it or I'm, I'm going to get the name wrong? Is it quarks that the, the quantum particles that are paired and then you separate them from vast, vast distances? Oh, okay, yeah. You do one at one. You you do something to one, it affects the other. It affects the other. Yeah. And they're talking about maybe this being a future of communications where we can have you know uh, communication on Mars that's fairly instantaneous mm-hmm. you know on Earth because of this. So again, there's science you know uh, basing it. And again, it jives with your experience. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to ask you. Do you think this is the future of cell phones where they just Interfere with the magnetic communication. <laughs> it's process. already interfering with us when we have. Well, I'm just saying, it seems like that would be the next step for it, communication. It, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, radio. It's it's electromagnetic fields are sort of like radio um, frequencies in the air. They're all around us, right? So we're we're bombarded by radio frequency. The only way, it's, if you think about it, it's kind of like a ghost in a way. So there's all these radio frequencies around us right now. Um, if I just turn my dial to 92.5, I connect with one of them, and then that comes out in the form of music. So right. the invisible becomes auditory, right. or, you know, visible to some degree. Um, so we're bombarded by radio frequencies, electromagnetic spectrums. It's all around us all the time. I, I assume that you know um, we'll probably be able to do something like communication-wise in the future with this. Um, but again, it's so early that you know the early telephones, and I mentioned this in the book. It was. All you really heard was, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hello? Uh, yeah. Can you hear me now? Uh, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so it was really staticky and you yep. know, couldn't make out words. But over 100 years, now our phones, we could crystal clear across the world. So the, the, the science is really, really infantile when it comes to this. It's hopeful, but it's not quite there. Now you talk about one of those uh, possible scientific breakthroughs will be storing information in our cells or using it as a medium to convey information. Yeah. You've got a patient that goes unconscious uh, in the hospital to be able to put a device to our skin that'll st- tell us mm-hmm. tell a story or history of our yeah whatever yeah. stored there. They're, they're developing these types of things where they're using our own body as sort of um, a way to communicate, like the, 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 our own bioenergetics, our own electricity right. in our body as a way to do that. Like when they plug your car in at the dealership and they can just read out what's wrong with your yeah. car. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like kind that. Of the same it, thing. You have this, um, and I can't remember, the research has been a while, but it's almost like a bar in your arm. 
So if you show up to the emergency room and you're unconscious and you have no ID, they could swipe this bar and figure out, hey, this guy's diabetic or this guy's this, so we better not do this or you know something like that, which could be really helpful um, for a lot of people. Uh, yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know how much you're willing for me to give away your, your book. I don't have to give any of it away. <laughs> well, it's been out for three years. And so I no could spoilers. Sur- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, race thing is like two weeks. If you haven't done it in two weeks in this age, you have to. Yeah, yeah I mean, every, um, yeah. But um, y- again, some of the concepts are just so they're grounded in science. So you think you start, you know, thinking, well, yeah, of course, this kind of makes sense. But thinking about the dead zone, you, and I don't know the dead zone very well. I saw it when I was a kid. I don't remember it. But oh. the interesting thing about the words you just said to describe the dead zone seem to fall into, you know, a little bit into what you're saying. You had a traumatic. And so to break down your your overall sort of thesis mm. is that you need three things for the recipe of a ghostly experience or a haunting. Mm. And again, and, and this is what I wanted to pause and say when you're talking about ghostly experience or a haunting. It's not. It's not necessarily um, someone coming back from the grave. I have a message for you, or you know, it's not poltergeist where you know get out of the house. And mm. it could be, but not for the reasons are conveyed in movies. But anyway, one of them that you first need is is some real traumatic emotional event. Is that is that right? That's the first mm-hmm. step, which kicks off the biology necessary to kick out these radio waves of this electromagnetism. Mm-hmm. And then you need a, th- a person to receive it, like you were describing in the radio analogy. In dead zone sounds like that. You got got a car accident, sends out maybe maybe now is tapped in in such a way or as a receiver. He guess he becomes more receiver than a transmitter. Yeah, yeah. But unlike in your movie, he's seeing the future. It does seem, at least based on what you're saying, there may be the ability for folks that are sensitive in that way to see the past. Is what mm-hmm. these hauntings are. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it it really the trauma usually as we go through all the literature and even watching reality shows and things like that. Trauma seems to be the the main. St- starting point emotions um crisis apparitions are a great example of sort of um how this whole phenomenon kind of can be put in a nutshell and a crisis apparition is like if i wake up in the middle of the night on a random tuesday and there's my aunt floating above my bed saying hey i love you goodbye Uh, and this happened at 1 a.m and then i find out the next morning when i wake up she died at 1 a.m right so what are the odds of that happening very, very, yeah. You know, next to that's, that's if I slim, yeah. If I never have a ghostly experience in my life or ever again, to have one ghost, ghostly experience at the time when my aunt was was dying or going through some sort of trauma, um, and then you have this sort of my my aunt goes through a trauma, which is life threatening death. Um, she's uh, somehow sends out this telepathic distress signal into the air, and it somehow resonates with me across town, and it comes out in the form of a vision of her. Right, so you have hers trauma um, changes all her sort of bioenergetics, which sends out a message. It goes into the environment, bounces around, and then somehow resonates with me in another state and comes in the form of a of an apparition. Right, so that could be one way to look at this. It's not so much a discarnate being showing up or anything like that. Right. It's more like a, a communication uh, at a time of trauma. Now, let's say. Uh, I move out of my house and 10 years later, somebody else moves in and they're sitting in the, the bedroom reading a book and then a woman floats above them saying, I love you. Goodbye. <laughs> is that a ghost? Yes. Right. Or is it just sort of someone picking up on something that was left from this message years ago? Right. So really we're looking at sort of redefining ghosts and this, this telepathic stuff is not new, new. Um, it's been around for a while, but uh, how it really impacts us and the science about how these things really happen is becoming new, new. Um, so the theory's been around, but um, the science has not really been around to back it up. And uh, a couple of questions in a play, uh, you know, s- skeptic, I suppose. And these are questions I had when I read your book. Mm-hmm. Um, a-, a couple of things. One, well, I, I take a step back. And when you're talking about the haunting and someone else picking up on it, it's the idea that this, these waves, this magnetism, or not magnetism, the, the signals that are sent out from somebody because of the traumatic event are stored somehow in our ether Mm-hmm. in the earth and you talk about you know theories about why that might be so mm-hmm. someone else is downloading i mean the radio waves are already there they just happen to be able to tune into the radio here's my two skeptical questions one is you don't address necessarily or, or maybe you do how we can be sure that in your example at 1 a.m he really observed his aunt there then and it wasn't some you know confabulation that after finding out about the aunt later Oh, I had this memory. You know what I'm saying? You're right. You can never be 100% sure. But any sort of research in psychology is all subjective. All the research they do on effective therapy, whether medications work, 
side effects of medication is all self-report. Right. So this idea that science is more concrete and objective is an illusion. Uh, the medications that we take to save our lives are subjective reports from patients who took those medications. Hmm. Could they lie? Yeah. They can say, yeah, this patient gave me headaches or this med gave me headaches. Why would they lie about it? I don't know, but right. they could. So subjective is really part of any sort of, uh, at least research in psychology. I mean, when you get into cellular stuff and chemistry and things like that, you don't really rely on subjective stuff. Sure. But any type of medical is subjective, any type of psychological testing, any type of uh, research in health psychology, it's all subjective. Right. So, you know, you really have to some degree, in, in my clinical practice, someone walks in and says, I've been depressed for four weeks. I can't stick them with a needle to prove if that's true. I have to take them for <laughs> right. their work. So sure. there could be other reasons why people have these experiences. They could be misremembering, misinterpreting, um, all kinds of different stuff that comes along with it. But, you know, the, the, when we get into ghosts, what we're really trying to do is study not do ghosts exist, but um, do people experience apparitionals or apparitions? Right. So do people experience apparitions? Yes. Sure. They experience them. So then it's just figuring out a little bit more about what makes that person unique, what happened, uh, this type of thing. Right. And you do talk about some of the studies, again, uh, well, in Edinburgh that you did at uh, Mary King's... Close. Close. Uh, yes. with, and in the study included uh, a number of people, but uh, you did ultimately measure whether those folks cons- what had prior experiences, mm-hmm. um, and also the other measurement was whether they were sensitive. I don't mm-hmm. remember how we determined sensitivity or not, but... Yeah. Um, it was environmental sensitivity. Uh, environmental sensitivity. So, so there's just more right. people who are just more attuned to the environment. It doesn't have to do with like psychic stuff right. or anything. Like it could that. be, you said IBS is an yeah, example. Yeah, yeah, fibromyalgia, severe allergies, right. um, sick building syndrome. These are people who are just really sensitive to the environment. So there seems to be a correlation between folks that are physic- sensitive to the physical environment and also having uh, apparitions. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my, my other skeptical question was on the, the one story you told about the, the, the couple that was in a place where they observed or they heard, and part of it was auditory, was that someone falling and screaming and ultimately found out that, I think it was 70 years earlier, uh, a mother who had lived there sent her son, agreed her son could go work in Chicago, and then she had you know, a feeling that something bad had happened and later learned her son had plummeted uh, tragically to his death. Um, my skeptical question is, all right, so sure, okay, I'm with you now. I'm buying one person saw, and they're sensitive, whatever requires environmentally sensitive, otherwise necessary to be able to tune into that stored uh, trauma, you know, the energy from that stored trauma. But two people in a relationship? Come on now. <laughs> how, how is it that, you know, we can have people seeing the same thing or at the same time? Mm-hmm. That seems like a little too much, I don't know. Coincidence, but I mean, coincidence is not the right word. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's actually a lot of accounts of uh, people witnessing the same apparition throughout. Sure. You know, it happens. That's why I ask. Yeah, it happens not quite a bit. It's more rare than obviously one person. But yeah, I, I mean, it's it's very, if we look at the spectrum of experiences, having two people witness something is probably more rare. Um, but, you know, uh, as far as being environmentally sensitive, you could have two people who are just together like that. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe they just had a traumatic life-changing experience where one of their relatives had passed, and that's what yeah. they were able to pick it up. They, they, you just don't know. Uh, when the, like when you marry somebody, you don't give them a, a, question, <laughs> a questionnaire of what, what's happening. You know? um, but you, you know, sometimes uh, you, you can get that connection there. But yeah. usually it only happens with one person. That's why I use that story, because... Uh, I felt like there was so many things happening that was just pointing together to, yeah. get, to get that. Yeah. The thing that struck me as odd, I guess, is, again, to use your analogy, obviously, if you have a radio, two radios, both turn them to 92.5, they're going to get the same signal at the same time. Sure. But, I don't know, there's something else that seems conceptually about this stuff just being out there. I guess the fact that it almost implies like it's playing, you know, this mm-hmm. these, this, this data is playing instead of just out there. So unlike... The radio, where you know stuff is sort of pl- playing sequentially, I-, I imagine at least we describe in the book. It's more like you know uh, stuff stored on the cloud, you know, where it's accessible yeah. when I want. So the fact mm-hmm. that I absolutely love this theory, and I think it gives us the ability to look at tapping into signals from long ago mm-hmm. or from the future because it's all just already there. Yeah, the the you mentioned the God helmet earlier. The 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 guy who is credited with that is Dr. Michael Persinger. And he has a, um, a lecture on YouTube called No More Secrets. So if your listeners want to watch somebody talk about uh, some fascinating stuff. But anyway, in, in that, he goes over that the universe itself has enough energy to store all, this, all the 
stored or all the memories of any, everyone who's ever existed. So this idea that maybe um, the memories of Abraham Lincoln or Adolf Hitler or um, whoever else is sort of just bouncing around out there and we can sort of tap into that. He talks about that sort of from a mathematical standpoint and a, hey, this could be possibly happening. Uh, that's not new, new. <laughs> that's, I think, called the, um, uh, I never get to pronounce, but the Akishic Records is sort of this mm-hmm. idea, which I think some 80s movies go into the Akishic Records. I can't remember which ones. But this idea that it's all out there and that like this collective consciousness is all out there and we sort of tap into it at times. It seems that some of the 80s movies, maybe just by luck or maybe by research, because I, I know some of the, a lot of the science that you refer to, you know, it's, it, like you said, it's not new. You, you're just pulling together a lot of things that yep. together make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like maybe just by happenstance or by research, some of the pop culture we love from the 1980s got some of it right. I mean, I was thinking about like Poltergeist, yeah, for example. Poltergeist with all the equipment and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, but the idea that, you know, at least following the story, it's on a, uh, it's it's on a cemetery, the home that has the haunting. Mm. I I don't know if in, that, in, in Poltergeist 2 we learned maybe something, there was also a battle there. I know it involves Native Americans. Um, but so the idea that maybe something could have been stored, you know, in this space, in this place, whether because it's a burial ground, so you've got, like you're talking about this collective unconscious where all these memories are there, or because there was something traumatic like a battle, and then also the traumatic events, you know, of the happening to the family that may make them more attuned, you know, the mother obviously getting the, the daughter disappearing, maybe this is circular, how I'm thinking about this, but the mother having a traumatic event sort of is able then to tap into these, mm-hmm. you know, apparitions, etc. and all of them are experiencing that. So. Yeah, by Poltergeist is a, I forgot about that one, but that's actually a, a pretty good, pretty good movie to sort of tie all that together more than Ghostbusters is. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they do, they do bring parapsychologists in there at one point, right? right. I remember yeah. the cameras. Yeah. And they the, bring in the cameras and the crews and they monitor everything and they yeah. start seeing the weird things happening. So, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Yeah. And actually a lot of the things they, you know, that are observe, observe are things that you talk about in the book that, you know, are observed sometimes and rare and sometimes, sometimes hard to observe. You talk about how if you bring a camera into a house where people are seeing ghosts, everyone's going to sort of mood's going to change. And so maybe they're not tuned in the way yeah. they need to observe. This but and, it, and, and even in Poltergeist, I, I, I guess, you know, the research before Poltergeist was that it always revolved around a young teenager, typically a girl. Hmm. So maybe the people from Poltergeist took that research and made it into a whole movie. Cause early on the Poltergeist phenomenon um, was really, they usually tied it to an agent is what they called it. And it was usually a young female. And whenever she was around, these objects would be moving and floating around and things like that. Mm. So they, they called it poltergeist, which is no, noisy ghost, I think, in German. But they actually switched it to something called recurrent or spontaneous recurrent psychokinesis. I think it's something like that. Okay. I, my, my brain's not there. <laughs> but they took the ghost out of it, and they turned it into psychokinesis. I see. So there's so much mm. built-up emotion and trauma and energy and a young female, and there's hormones and biological stuff that somehow it reaches out into the environment, and they move objects around. So they took... It's not a ghost. It's just this energy that's happening. And that's what sort of parapsychology redefined poltergeist. Uh, probably after that movie, <laughs> I think into the eighties <laughs> and nineties, they started calling it recurrent, spontaneous psychokinetic energy or something like that. I have a couple of thoughts. The first one being that's pretty sexist, <laughs> uh, but the second thing being, all right, we got Exorcist, you've got Carrie, mm-hmm. you've got Firestarter, all mm-hmm. you know, young women. Mm-hmm. So that I guess Beetle yeah, just don't forget Beetlejuice. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, yeah. You're right. In a sense, yeah. she's the one who taps into the ghosts. You're right. So, mm-hmm. um, wow. I guess folks. Uh, maybe I'm not crediting these screenwriters as much as I should, but having done their research. Yeah, yeah. When you just when you mentioned Poltergeist, it brought all that back to me. So that's kind of a weird, uh, weird thing to go there. But yeah, it's it's really there's it's amazing how much parapsychology is really based in a lot of the movies that are out there. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't uh, they don't credit it, but it is there, uh, and you'll see it if you're if you're aware of it. You'll see it. Yeah, so. so yeah, the uh, the desire for movie makers to tap into actual research started in the eighties mm-hmm. on these movies. This is Ray wrangling a thesis out of our far episode. I yeah, I got to put this in a headlock. Somehow it kind of did. I mean, parapsychology really started in the fifties <laughs> and sixties, um, but it really didn't get mainstream until about the seventies. And then it was more on TV and, um, you know, uh, in search of and, and all that. And right. 
And then it kind of morphed into a lot of the 80s stuff. I mean, if we, if we think about the 80s, a lot of movies have sort of like that adventure paranormal twist to them. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, the the ones that I used to watch at least did. Uh, so a lot of it does have some parapsychology in there. It's kind of, yeah, you got it. See? I knew it. Well, right, you know, Ray is, he's special. <laughs> <laughs> he, he doesn't need a God helmet or anything. Yeah. He's just... I've got my God helmet yeah, on right now, my headphones. Okay. <laughs> well, Brandon, thank you so much for your time. We thoroughly appreciate it. Um, and folks should check out, definitely, uh, whether you're a skeptic or a believer, The Ghost Studies uh, by, by Brandon Masulo, our, our guest today. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah, it was great. It was great being here. Good time. Thank you. All right. So, Ray, how do you think we did? I think we have proven, beyond a shadow of a doubt, yes. that parapsychology in 1980s pop culture mm-hmm. was the best of any decade. Yeah. And our expert proved it. Yes. Once again. That's why we bring him here. Right? Yeah. And, you know, and it, yes. Okay. Whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Just done. <laughs> so, yeah. So, we'll talk to you next time on The 80s. See ya. See ya.